Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. So this week on the podcast, Andy and I are letting you guys in on a conversation that we had recently with some managers that we were meeting with because someone asked the question, what do I do when the team is mad because we are shorthanded and I won't jump in and help on the floor? And I thought it was a fantastic question. So did Andy. We thought it would be great to talk about with you all on the podcast because we love spending this kind of time and talking through these things with you. So um, let's just say that I have a lot of empathy for this conversation. I'm going to be vulnerable and share some of my failings as a manager during this episode with you. And I hope that you not only understand, can relate to and find some solutions in the conversation that Andy and I have. Let's get into this. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke and Stephanie. That sounds like a you problem gone. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Uh, How's it going, Andy? Oh, one foot in front of the other. Yep. Making it through this crazy year. It's crazy times. I think when this episode comes out, we will be in Las Vegas for WVC, either there or heading there uh, the following week. And I'm looking forward to that and uh, getting excited about seeing our friends and colleagues. Uh, I had so much fun when we went to VMX in January. It was so good to see people and I'm looking forward to that. But it is heading into the busy it's that busy time, man. There's so much happening. All the all the things are spinning at once, and it is crazy yes. busy right now. Yeah, it is. Um, but you know, there's some good things too. Like the the spring is coming. Yes. I can see. I'm starting to see little shoots poking up through the ground. Uh, some of my plants that lost all their leaves have these little buds on them. You know, never forget that life is good. And and also, you know, everything comes in cycles. I think that's where I'm living right now. Yes. is that uh, everything comes in cycles and this too shall pass. And so, you know, my family's had a, a rough start to the year with just people being sick and, um, you know, just, just kind of stressful stuff. But overall, we're, we're really, we're really, really lucky. You know, we haven't had any serious health problems like a lot of people who get COVID have had. And you know what I mean? Like when you really zoom out, you go, this is all okay. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna be fine. And anyway, it's just... I'm thinking a lot about that as like, you know, cycles just come and go. I saw an interview with, uh, it was the actor studio and somebody asked Tom Hanks if he could give advice to his younger self, what would he say? And he said, this too shall pass. And he said, <laughs> uh, he said, when you, when you make a movie and everybody hates you, this will pass. And when you make huh? a great movie and everybody loves you, that's also <laughs> going to pass. And I was like, I was like, that's, you're speaking that's to me, That's some Dom. solid advice. Yeah, you're speaking to me, buddy. <laughs> That's where we are. Oh, man. Well, I am excited for today's episode. We, uh, you and I recently were doing uh, a meeting and uh, we're hanging out with a bunch of practice managers mostly and um, had a great conversation with them about um, a question that somebody asked. And they asked, how do I balance doing my job when the team gets mad and feels unsupported when yeah. I don't cover staff shortages because everybody is short staffed right now. Everybody is dealing with the normal winter sick plus the COVID and everybody's tired and burned out and people are taking 
you know, vacations and all of the things. And so everybody is dealing with being shorthanded, mm-hmm. you know, more regularly, I think, than than potentially in the past. And so um, I this one immediately resonated with me um, so hard because I struggled with this uh, m- more than once in um yeah. in my time in the clinic and it because it's, it's so hard and it's so it's so common and so um i think we both were like yes we should talk about this on the podcast yeah. because it is not exclusive to the group of managers we are with it is it is something that happens to everybody and i think it's uh worth talking about um both from a headspace perspective as we do and also a logistical like how do you avoid this how do you set yourself and your team up for success You know, what's funny is the actual avoiding it is generally the easy part. It's the mindset (laughs) that is required. That is the hard Mm -hmm. part, but it makes or breaks it. That's why I really, I really like this question. And I see a lot of managers, specifically managers and sometimes head techs, but, but, but often it's managers and, and the group that seems to be most affected in my mind, uh, are the, are the people who have been veterinarians who have moved up into a management role, like a a medical director role or practice owner role. And uh, technicians, support staff, front desk staff who have moved up into a practice manager role. That was you as well, right, Steph? You did that. Oh, yeah. I, th- that's the hardest part because you have the skills, right? Yeah. And I'll lay out why that why those groups really get pinched. Uh, I, I think people who come in as a manager have so much easier of a road in this specific way. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so anyway, I really like this problem. And it's this is some real psychology judo that we get to do. And so I'm going to really try to throw some people around today and like, I got to change though. I got to shake you and, and make you see this a little differently. And then, and then you have to believe it so that you can communicate it in meaningful ways to other people. But this is a, this is a common, common problem, especially during uh, the times when, when so many practices are shorthanded. All right. So let's start as we do with the headspace. For the, the, heads, the first thing that we got to do is get not defensive not combative, not frustrated. It's really easy to get ticked off because you are leading this team. You are working your butt off and someone says, can you put on lead apron and take these radiographs? And you're like, uh, no, I can't. And they're like, ah, thought you well, cared about right? pets. I thought you cared about the staff. Well, and it usually happens when you are running through the hospital doing something else, right? It's not happening in the moment when you're on the floor to observe the team and it's like, hey, can you help us with this patient here in the moment? Like it's the frustration comes when you're clearly doing something else in your mind and the team is also asking you, hey, can you do this thing? (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, because if you were hanging out on the floor, like, hey, I'm here to support you guys. And they're Mm -hmm. like, can you put on these lead apron and do this thing that you've been trained to do and have plenty of experience Mm -hmm. with? You would just do it. And then Mm -hmm. no one would get upset. And then you wouldn't even think about it again. It's only Mm -hmm. when you're busy, you're doing other things, you've got 87 fires, you're looking for a doctor to sign some paperwork or to explain what happened in the one star review that you just found online because the person is going to call you uh, you know, with, with, with a reporter, uh, and, uh, and wants to talk to you and you're like, I need this now. And someone's like, can you, uh, can you hold this cat yeah. <laughs> for some blood? And you're like, no. And they're like, ah, fine then just, just leave us here. And then, 
and then you feel like crap, right? And, yeah. and it's, it's something we've been talking a lot about recently. Um, incongruence is this mindset. And I, I just, I love this. I, I wrote about it recently when I was writing about people who uh, struggle with, are you a real fat? So people who had been in full-time practice and then were not anymore. And I think a lot of those people really struggle with the question of, hey, now that I'm not practicing every day, am I a real vet? And, 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 and when we talk about that and how we feel that way, it really focuses on this idea of incongruence. And what that means is there is an ideal way that we see ourselves. Like when we, when you look at Stephanie Goss and you're like, and you look in the mirror and say, this is ideal Stephanie Goss, like what I want to be. And then you say, well, what do I actually, who am I actually? And if the, who am I actually? And what is ideal Stephanie Goss? If those are different, mm -hmm. that's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel like we, like we're not who we want to be. When I, uh, when I look, when I was young, uh, when I was 15 years old and I thought ideal Andy Rourke looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger and I stepped in front of the mirror <laughs> as scrawny, pasty, 165 pound uh, Andy Rourke, I was like, uh, I'm failing. I am clearly not where I want to be. Um, and, but it, again, it's that comparison is a thief of joy, but you can compare yourself to the ideal version of yourself and steal your own joy. Mm -hmm. It's this weird internal self, self, self damaging mindset. And so we see that. And that's why it hurts is because when the technician says to you, Hey, can you jump in and help out? You see yourself as the person who jumps in and helps out. Mm -hmm. You may still identify as the veterinarian on the floor or the technician on the floor or the CSR on the floor. And your ideal version of yourself would totally fix that problem and help that person. Yep. But your actual person does not have time to put on that lead apron. They don't have time to jump up and start taking those phone calls. And so then your actual self and your ideal self are not matching up and you get this deep-seated unease where you go, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I'm not the hero that I want to be. And that's called incongruence. And it 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 bothers us deeply. And so that, that's why we feel that way. At the same time, it's totally reasonable for someone to say, hey, I need help. And mm -hmm. I know that you have these skills and you seem to be just walking past. <laughs> and so them asking you does not seem unreasonable or bad. Right. And yeah, and so anyway, that, that's that's sort of where we, we end up with with, you know, why does this happen? Well, because someone needs help and they see you, a capable person who could help them, and they ask you, and you have a vision in your head of being a person who jumps in and helps, but now you're not doing that. And there's the internal irritation and there's the external irritation where the person who needs help sees you walking by and asks for help and you say, I don't have time to help you. It it can make them feel unimportant. Sure. You know? Yep. I think... Um... I think it's hard. Uh, I think it I think it happens. And I think it's hard because from the team's perspective, your job is to make the practice run and yeah. the practice runs taking care of patients and clients. And so it doesn't matter which side of the coin we're talking about. It doesn't matter whether the front desk is flagging you down or the team in the treatment room needs help with the patient. When you have this is exponentially more common and more difficult when you have a skill set uh, because you were once part of the team, right? You were, sure. whether it's that team or another team, like you were a player, you were on the field, you did the stuff and the things. And so they see you 
And they have a patient in front of them or a client in front of them. And the path to least of least resistance for them is to say, oh, Stephanie, I mm-hmm. could, I need your help with this thing. Right. Makes perfect logical sense to them. Mm. And so the reason why it happens is because when you step into a role as manager, you absorb the knowledge that your job is more than just doing the stuff and the things. And you have to do your job to really push things forward. And so the struggle happens when you're having that internal argument that you were talking about, Andy, in terms of how you see yourself and what you think you're supposed to be doing and and how you identify in, in that regard. They're just seeing a problem in front of them and you are the answer. Right. And in your brain, there are multiple other answers. And so it's uh, it's that the why it happens, the frustration, the reason why it happens is because your answer is not the answer they want. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's exactly. the last of least, least resistance is if your answer is the answer that they want and you just do what they want you to. And you know that to be successful at your job, it means that sometimes arguably most of the time, your answer should be no. Um, yeah. And that's a hard, that's a, that's a, sets you up for a battle. Yeah, and, th- and that's exactly it, right? The, the first step in the headspace on this is like, why does it happen? It's obvious why it happens. And if you were in the sports staff, you would ask for help as well. Mm-hmm. Like that's a common thing, especially when most of us beat the drum and say, we're a team, we look out mm-hmm. for each other, we support mm-hmm. each other, all for one, one for all, teamwork first. Mm-hmm. Um, The message of, no, I can't help you, seems incongruous with that Mm -hmm. messaging that we put forward. And so it's it's totally understandable sort of why it happens. I think think you're you're absolutely right. In the short term, for their problem, you jumping in and helping them is the easiest solution. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the other thing is, you know, we all tend to be a bit self-interested. We all tend to look at the problem that we have and think that it is the most important problem because we have it. And so, you know, when they are waiting to get help and they need help to take these radiographs, they need to help to draw this blood, you know, they need help to uh, to get these charges put into the computer, whatever they need help with, you know, they are, have a strong bias towards wanting to solve this specific problem. And so mm-hmm. they push that forward. Uh, starting with compassion is key, right? These are not bad people. They're not being jerks. And I think it's easy to be like, why don't they see value in me? Look, man, they're just busy. <laughs> They're just busy. Mm-hmm. Like you're taking this too personally. Uh, they're they're just they're just busy and they're just trying to do their job. And honestly, most of them are working shorthanded, and that's stressful for anybody. So this person is under stress, trying to do a lot of things. Just understand where they're coming from. That doesn't mean that you have to jump in and do it. And we're going to talk about how we set ourselves up for success in that regard. But yeah. at least it's just everything is easier if you don't take it personally that they're asking and just understand, yeah, that's that's why they feel this way and this is why I feel this way and this is kind of what's going on and no one is the bad guy and no one's trying to be the bad guy. Just just put all that sort of stuff aside. Yes. If you, I, I agree, you have to have compassion to not take it personally. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. if the, the second that you take it personally, that's when it turns from mild frustration in the moment that you've said no into a thing <laughs> of of yeah. some degree, right? Whether it's that person is just now ticked off and is in a bad mood for the rest of the day, or they then are like, 
it it builds, right? It builds when we take it personally. And so I think that's, that's for me is like the self-awareness and, and compassion place like this is where you have to have empathy for them and empathy for yourself and force yourself to take a step backwards and tell yourself, and believe me, I've been there in the moment. This is not about you. This is not about yeah. you, <laughs> you know, because totally. it's, it's not about you. Don't take it personally. Yeah, it, that's exactly right. And people get frustrated and they're like, these people have no idea what I mm-hmm. do. That's mm-hmm. true. Yes. Own that. They don't. <laughs> they don't have an idea what you do. Yes. Like are they, you go into the office and you close your door and they yes. don't have, they have as much of an idea of what you do as you had an idea of what the manager did before you became the manager. Yes. Uh, like, that's, that's it. Um, yes. That's, that's not, that shouldn't be something that makes us angry. That should be something that makes us compassionate. And when we say, well, they have, they just have no idea. Uh, what compounds this, and this is why this is so important to talk about, you and I have absolutely seen people who have been just handcuffed by an inability to get past this and get yes. off the floor. Like, guys, the number one career-limiting uh, situation that I see for managers and medical directors is the inability to work on the business yes. because they're so fixated on working in the business. And that's it. Like how many practices out there are just treading water because the leadership is seeing appointments all day instead of actually leading and growing the business, solving mm-hmm. the problems that would make the appointments more uh, more uh, efficient and more, um, I don't know, more likely to achieve great client patient outcomes and more lucrative for the practice. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of them. I see so many people who are like, I don't have time to fix problems because I'm just seeing patients. And I'm like, that's that's a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yep. a bad choice. Uh, and again, and it's not your role to see patients. It's your role to lead the practice and take care of things at an organizational level. If you're doing individual work when it's your job to run the organization, you're you're doing um, you're doing the wrong thing. And there's no path out of there. And everyone wants to say like, oh, if I just work on the floor a little bit harder, then I'll get time right. to go and do the management. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you won't. Never happens. Here's yes. the thing. If you jump in and do the management, then life on the floor for everyone is going to get easier. Yeah. But you have to believe that. And a lot of people, especially when they came up from the floor, they don't believe it. They either don't believe it because they've never been in a practice where they had strong leadership that was really able to make things happen. They don't believe it because of, you know... um, the long progression that it takes, you know, it's funny. There are very few things in leadership. We always like to believe that there are wins that we can go in and we can do something on Monday. And by Friday, people will be celebrating our genius and our work. And like that doesn't right. happen. It really is a long time. But what happens is two years later, people look back and go, this place is a different place to work. And it's amazing. But you don't get that immediate positive uh, pat on the back, that reward of when you held the cat for the blood draw and people go, hey, thanks, buddy. Really appreciate you jumping in. People aren't like, hey, thanks a lot for working on those uh, standard operating protocols and job descriptions. You right. really, boy, <laughs> that was great. But the truth is the standard operating procedures and the job descriptions had a across the organization had an exponentially greater impact than you holding one single cat for a blood draw. Yeah. 
But those I, things are hard to see. I think the last piece of that um, that you didn't address is that they're not em- empowered to do it. And I, I see this a lot where um, the expectation that is set for the role is that you lead and work on the business and you do all of this stuff and you're being asked to work in a role capacity, whether it's at the front desk or on, as a technician or as a doctor. And I think the empowerment piece is a is a big piece of the conversation. And, and it's not exclusive to corporate practice. Like I hear the conversation a lot for people who are um, managers or medical directors and leading in a corporate environment. But I will also tell you, I have seen and worked in private practice where I have not been empowered by the practice owner to do the actual job that they've hired me to do because the expectation is also that I'm doing this other thing. And I think there has to be a conversation about what is realistic. And this is a giant soapbox for me because I think you and I both um, align very much so that it is an unrealistic expectation (laughs) to ask someone to do a full-time job leading a practice in a truly administrative role and also work a majority of the time in in a role in the practice. Yeah. It's it's a lose-lose situation for that person and it's also a lose-lose situation for the team. And so I think the empowerment piece is is the last piece of that uh that triangle that has to be talked about. Well, it's it's funny. It's become a bit that you and I do is uh how many times have we tag teamed and beat up people that we love? Like the owner, the leaders, the practice owners, the medical directors who come to us and uh, we say to them this thing where they'll say, well, I just, you know, I got a practice manager and I got my head tech and, and I gave them a job to do and I gave them a job description. And then you look at them in their face and say, did you give them time to do the job <laughs> that you gave to them? And they just they just look back and like you can see the gears turning and I, I've seen it so many times now. I, I try not to enjoy it, but I do. I just, I enjoy the painful growth that this person is having. You know what I mean? And it's good for them and they have to. And I'm like, trust me, I, I, I have, have that filter. same painful growth. We, it's, it's like we all grow, growth is painful and it's yes. uncomfortable, especially like we all like to think that we just hear the right answer and we just get it immediately. There's a lot of things where we just have to sit with them for a while. Yeah. And this is one of the things that so many people sit with is they'll say, well, I made this job description and I got this person and I handed it off to my technician and I made them the head technician or I mm-hmm. made the uh, the this CSR into the office manager and then they're supposed to be handling this. And they'll say, well, they're supposed to be handling this. When? And then we will say, did you give them time to handle this? Yeah. And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, you know, like making the job description and saying all the things, but then not having time to do the things. Right. That's that's not any better than not making the job description because it doesn't, you know, it just it may, probably just makes them feel worse because now they know they're failing in a thing as opposed to before they were just doing the work and, and we're happy with that. And so I, I think you're totally right. Part of it is the empowerment. Hey, you have the ability to do these things. But are we giving them the time, the capacity yeah. to actually carry these things out? And the answer for, for a lot of this is, is no. And, and what that really does, that sets up a really interesting conversation between the medical director, the practice owner, uh, and the manager, or between the manager and the head technician, or the lead CSR, or whatever, when the lead CSR says to the manager, hey, 
you have these things you want me to do when we've decided they're priorities and they're really important. Help me figure out when I'm supposed to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that should not be an earth shaking, mind blowing conversation opener, but it is for a lot of people. And they go, I don't know. And so we'll get into that in the action steps. But no, I I think you're exactly right. And again, nobody's bad. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like I talk about this and people go, and it, because they see themselves in it. I, let me just be honestly 100% candid. Guys, I, I run my team and the things that I give to them and then later on they'll say, when am I supposed to do this? And I go, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Like I'm bad about this. Like, you yes, know, I just- We all I, are. I, I, I just assume people are going to get it done and if they can't get it done, they're going to let me know. Yeah. Um, And I think that that is a dangerous assumption and it's one that I am so bad about making. And so I think I- when I say I enjoy seeing leaders have this painful growth, it's because it's it's commiseration. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, you also have to feel this pain that I feel. Well, and and I I joke and say it's because I have no filter, but it's also because I have been in that, I have been in that position on both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. And so I ask the question because I know how painful it is on both sides. And I also know that I have never in my personal experience, been able to solve this problem without, I call that piece of it, the elephant in the room. Like until you address that you're trying to manage up to unrealistic expectations and you're set up to fail. And so, you know, we talk on the podcast a lot about, about um, what are the building blocks to have some of these conversations and approach some of these. And this is very much one of those things where you have to look at yourself and say, how have I been set up to fail as the manager and, and the number one culprit in, in my experience is that you're not actually empowered to do what you're supposed to be doing. There's unrealistic expectations about how you're spending your time and what you're supposed to be accomplishing. Or on the flip side, there's unrealistic expectations on your team's part. And so your team, and that's where the taking it personally comes in here. Look, when your team is mad and frustrated because they're shorthanded and they're just bitter that you're not helping them and you're doing other things, they don't know what your job is. They don't care what your job is. <laughs> and you can waste your time and energy. And I approached it this way on more than one occasion, trying to explain to them what my job was and why it was so important. At the end of the day, it still doesn't matter. They still don't care. And that comes off as mean and everybody gets offended by it. But the the reality is they don't, they don't care. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't change their day radically to understand what your, your job is. Your job is to figure out how do I help them solve their problem and eliminate Mm -hmm. some of the barriers to move them beyond this piece of it. And so in that regard, like we have set them up to fail when there aren't clear communications and expectations about what your job is. And that's the piece I think that a lot of people leave out is they're like, well, the the manager has this big, important job and, you know, they're in charge of HR and payroll and and running the practice. But team doesn't understand that on a granular level. And and so the step, because people are like, I don't know how to explain all of the things that I possibly could do to the team, the step that most of us miss is communicating the expectations to the team of what they can expect from you. And this is a great example of that. Look, the team should know when you're shorthanded, like when do you jump in and when when do you not? Like that should be kind of an expectation. It could be an unwritten rule of thumb, but like I, you know, I have on a personal level, my own barometer that I use to say, okay, are they truly drowning? And, and I 
the the long term effects of them drowning here or a patient dying because there is improper supervision or someone just absolutely losing their minds and walking out the door today. Like I, I in a split second measure that in my own brain and decide, is this truly a moment where it is more effective for me to step in and help them with the thing? Or is, is it more important for me to do my job so that I can finish the interviews so that I can hire the extra bodies so I can do the other things, right? And communicating a measure of expectation to them about that decision-making process, I think is is really, really important. And it's a piece of the process that we that we skip a lot of the time because we focus from a headspace perspective on, well, we've got to get them to understand what my job is. But that's not yeah. actually... That's not actually, I don't think, how you solve this problem. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think I think we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about how to, how to try that, and I think that you should at least make a passing attempt at it. And there are some ways that can make it successful. But I completely agree with you. There's just um, there's not a scenario where they say I'm not gonna ask that person who's wearing scrubs, yeah. and oh, standing yeah. there with her hands <laughs> in her pockets for help. Because I know at a deep level how important <laughs> what her other what her main job is. Right. That, that's not the answer. The right. answer is that you, as the manager, too, and this is the mental judo I talked about at the beginning, you have to believe in the value of managing as opposed to uh, working uh, as a technician. I, I don't mean a vet tech. I mean a technician and someone who actually puts their hands on the thing and does mm-hmm. the work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's that's the biggest thing that I see. And it, and it's a it's a it's a perspective change, right? It's a, it's a short view change. I, you know, the classic example of this is the independent practice, right? And you've got a veterinarian who's also the practice owner and they have this manager and they kind of got a manager because there were enough things that they needed someone to do that aren't technician work. So they sort of gave this person a title, right? They don't really understand what that role is or know how to use that person. Yes. And so in their mind, this person is support staff with a fancy title who has to get these other things done. And I go, buddy, you are fundamentally missing the boat. You know, that is that is not what this is. The best analogy I can give, which is not very good, I don't think, it's like a chessboard. And, and when I say that, that that technicians, meaning people who work with their hands or pawns, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean that just uh, analogy of a chessboard and, and the, the doctors are technicians as well. Like, you know, it's, it's the staff mm-hmm. and you're trying to take this person and make them a bishop. Uh, you know, you're trying to make them uh, a, a piece beyond something that, that has a greater Im, uh, mm-hmm. impact and influence. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how many people don't want a bishop. They want, they just want another pawn. And mm-hmm. you go, this is dumb. Like you're taking, you're taking something mm-hmm. that, that could be very helpful and transformative and using it in a, not unimportant, but a very small scoped way. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's like misusing your tools. Sure. And so I, I think, I think the managers themselves have to see themselves as managers and have to have that mental perspective of, I play at the organizational level. Mm-hmm. It's my job to make this business run more smoothly, not the individual patient experience. That's not my job. Yeah. And I know when I say it that that clearly people go, go to recoil. And I think I push that hard because so many people are on the other side and they're like, no, you should totally jump in here with this specific pet. I'm like, yeah, you should not be practicing at the individual level. You should be practicing at the organizational slash business level. Yeah. And when you keep getting pulled down to the individual level, 
you, especially if that means you're not getting to do the organizational level, everyone is uh, being negatively impacted by that. And it's in a very yes. small way that they don't that they don't even see, but it's there. And yes. so you have to see it. And you have to believe it. A hundred percent. Because when you when you do your job for them, nobody wins in the long term. I I truly believe that. And there's there's two really big pieces of that for me. One is if you are not observing them, but you're just doing the actual job, the team doesn't ever get any lessons from you in how they can improve. You don't have that 30,000 mile view if you're on the field. You can't step back and have that perspective. And the second piece is, and this, I, I, oh, I say this because I know the very painful place (laughs) that results when you do this. When you do the job long enough and you jump in and save them over and over again, not only does that become your business model, but you wind up with a team that cannot function without your intervention or involvement. And mm. that is the worst case scenario for everybody. And that is that is one of the biggest dangers in this moment. And that's where I was talking about, like, I have to... In order to truly grow as a leader, you have to develop your own internal split second decision making tool to figure out and factor for yourself. Is this a case where I need to say no? Because if I say yes, they're just going to I'm just going to keep doing the, the, the job and I'm not going to actually be able to help them grow and learn and move beyond as a, as a team. And that's, that is one of the hardest things to learn how to do and I'll be totally vulnerable and, and honest with you guys. I've, I've been doing this a long time and I, at my, at my practice, even right before I left, like I was so guilty of this because it's hard when you have the skill set and you can do the things, the easiest thing, the path of least resistance for you is to put on the cape and be the hero and save the day and jump in and hold that pet or, you know, scrub in and help in surgery or sit at the front desk and cover because somebody's out again. It feels really good to feel like you're helping the team in the very short run. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, it feels really, really crappy because I have never not had it be a situation where ultimately the team gets super frustrated and they're angry with you. And then you're dealing with the fallout of the fact that you've been trying to do what you think is right, which is help them and save the day. And they're still pissed at you. Like that's your lose-lose situation. Yeah, I agree. You want to uh, take a little break here and then we'll come back and get into some action steps? Yeah, I love it. Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how, uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help 
But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey. Hey you, what you got happening on your calendar in March? Because the Uncharted Veterinary Community has lots of things coming up that I don't think you're going to want to miss. First up in March, we have an awesome workshop by my friend, Dr. Saya Clement. Saya is going to be talking about client curation with us. She's going to teach us how to learn to identify the types of clients that you want for your practice. And then what are things that you and your team can do to attract those kind of clients specifically? It's happening March 13th at 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific, and it is a two-hour workshop. So put that on your clinic calendar, take a lunch break, go in late for the day if you're here on the West Coast. It is $99. It's free as always for our Uncharted members, and you can sign up at unchartedvet.com forward slash events. And then in the back half of the month on March 24th, my dear friend, Brett Canfield, is doing a presentation that I am super pumped about. He and I are going to do some tag teaming on this. I am his wingman moderator, and I am so excited for this because I went to Brett at the beginning of the year and said, hey, you are the person that comes to mind when I think about this topic because you live this and you help teams breathe this. And I want to bring this to Uncharted and to the veterinary community at large. And that is the idea of more than an EAP. What can we do to make wellness happen in our practices? Brett is going to talk to us about the benefits of programs like EAPs. But beyond that, what are some ways and things that we can do to create sustainability for our teams? Again, this is a two-hour workshop. It's $99 for the general public, and it's free for our Uncharted members. It's happening on March 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, so 11 a.m. Pacific. So this one will hit my West Coasters lunchtime and mid-afternoon for those East Coasters. It's a two-hour one. So again, make sure to check out unchartedvet.com forward slash events for all of the upcoming events and registration. And... I want to take a quick second to pause before we head back to the podcast. I have to show some serious gratitude to our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital. Andy and I have wanted to do transcripts for the blog for a while because we've had multiple colleagues reach out to us and say, hey, I've heard great things about the podcast. I would love to listen, but this is not accessible to me. And while we were trying to figure that out, our friends over at Banfield stepped up and said, hey, we see you and this is something that fits our values and our culture as a practice. We want to increase diversity and inclusion in veterinary medicine and we would love to help with that. And so they stepped up in a big way and are sponsoring all of our transcripts for 2022. So if you know someone who hasn't accessed the podcast because there weren't transcripts available previously, send them to unchartedvet.com forward slash blog. They can find all of the transcribed um, podcasts for 2022 and uh, they can also find out more or you can find out more about all of the things that Banfield Pet Hospital is doing to increase diversity, inclusion, and equity in veterinary medicine. And now back to the podcast. All right. Well, let's start to unpack this, shall we? Sounds good. All right. 
um, we often start our action steps with expectations. And I think that that's, that's where we go here. Yeah. Um, we talked before about you know, the people that you work with are not going to understand what you do. And that's not the goal. That doesn't mean they can't have expectations about how available you're going to be. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when I say set expectations, they're like, that means I'm going to explain to everybody all the things that I'm doing. No, just we need to let them know, especially if, if you have been on the floor a lot. It is not wrong to step up at the staff meeting and say, I need to give you guys a heads up. I know that you're working hard. Our business is growing. We are moving to shift and handle some different things and to evolve. I am not going to be as available on the floor as I haven't been in the past. And I just want you guys to all hear that and just be aware that you're probably not going to be able to pull me in in the way that you have in the past. And that's just starting to set expectations. Um, you might go full on with them and say, guys, I'm no longer gonna be able to jump in and work on the floor. Uh, the management uh, piece of this has just gotten too big and I'm gonna be putting in my time there. And so I'm not gonna be wearing scrubs. I'm not gonna be able to jump in uh, and, do, and do work on the floor. Please know that I love you, <laughs> but, but I am not. But, but I'm not going to be available. And then you're not telling them that when they're holding the squirming cat. Yes. Right. When they're standing there with lead apron and thyroid protector on going, hey, we could just get this done if you would jump in here. You're letting them know when there aren't any patients in the building. Yeah. Hey, this is coming. And oftentimes that is that is the best thing to do is break the news to them when they're not panicking. Yeah. Um, and then when you gently enforce the barrier later on, it's not news to them. So start off by setting expectations and just saying, hey, this is this is what you can expect. Things are going to be a little bit different going forward. And and I think in my experience, um, it's really important to set expectations and start in a very small and measurable way for them. So for example, if the team is short handed right now, this is not the time to have the big grand conversation about my job as a manager is really involved and takes a lot of time. And I, so I, I'm going to be shifting my my time and energy to to that, right? That is an important piece of the conversation, but they're not going to absorb that in any way, shape or form if they're panicked in the moment. And so for for me, I would say the wins come easier when you say, hey, guys, I need your help in the next week. I'm looking at the schedule. We've got three people out sick. We are shorthanded. I am trying to complete interviews so I can reschedule these interviews and I can step in and I can put myself on the schedule or I can finish the interviews so we hopefully can get another person starting sooner rather than later. Like sometimes it's about giving them simple choices. Sometimes you might not give them a choice at all. You might just yeah. tell them this is the thing. But being very specific and granular about um, the the choice and the transparency, I think is really, really helpful. Because in when they are experiencing the situation that causes that frustration over feeling like they're shorthanded and you're not helping, zooming out to that big picture is a leap that often most teams as a whole collectively have a really hard time making. So start with a small specific piece. Hey, this week. Hey, the next two weeks. This is what my schedule change is going to be and why. There's a big, we have to change our payroll system and I want to make sure you guys are going to get paid. And so here's what that means for my schedule. I just want to let you guys know because I know we're shorthanded and I know in the past, historically, I've jumped in and I've stepped into role and I've worked on the floor in order for this to happen I cannot do that. And I just want everybody to know. So we're all on the same page. 
before we head into the next two weeks, right? It's about being very specific and clear and transparent with them about a specific situation. Yeah, I, I agree. Education is is key after expectations, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's them they don't they don't know what you do. And if you're a black box, they're gonna continue to be frustrated. And I see right. that a lot. Yes. This does not mean that you are gonna show them your to do list. Right. Because I have a hundred percent seen people just be like, and then I had to do this, and then I had to do this, and then like the staff's like, uh-huh. we don't care. Uh-huh. But there is there is some <laughs> level of information sharing when you say, guys, going into this week, my top priorities in the manager office are going to be to work on hiring. And I really want to push this and get it done. We're going to be trying out some new strategies to get people in. But my work is going to be on expanding the team to reduce the workload on you guys. So um, sharing just in broad terms, what are you doing so that they can at least say, hey, she's not coming in and helping us on ready graphs. She's working on hiring. Yes. Just that level yes. is fine. The other piece to this education, and I, and I think you really hit on it very nicely, Stephanie, is um, they care most about what you're doing in the context of helping them. Yes. Which means. So what's in um, it for me? <laughs> when I, yeah, exactly right. I, and I want them to feel that way. I want them to believe that the sacrifice they are making by not asking me to jump in on the floor is a worthwhile sacrifice. It's an investment that they are making. Like that, that that's really kind of yeah. where my head goes is yeah. you guys are not going to ask me to do, jump in and do stuff and you're not going to get upset or you're not going to upset if I say no because you know that I am doing something that is going to be beneficial for you. And that is sort of the way to look at people. And again, I, everybody's self-interested. You know, I said everybody looks at what they're trying to do and, and getting home at the end of the day to their family, mm-hmm. safe and sound and happy uh, so that they can enjoy their life. That, that's kind of how they, how they look at it. And so how do I make it so that not asking me for help in the moment is in your best interest? And I'm just going to think about messaging. And again, this is not a big deal. I'm not trying to shore this up and make a PowerPoint presentation where they do the math and figure it out. But I have to give them at least something where they can go, okay, it's possible that I'm better off not asking Andy because he is at least working on these things that I think will benefit me yes. or make my life easier. Yes. And so those are the keys for me with with education. Give them something so that, they, so that you are not a black box and they have some idea what's going on. Do your best to frame it in a way where they see value for them in letting you get your work done. Mm-hmm. Yep, I totally agree. So yeah, beyond that, like once you set the expectations and you give them some education, you need to make yourself inaccessible. And there's a couple of different ways to do this. And I think this is this is the thing that just screws people up. There's the managers who are like, I don't have time to do all the work. And I say, well, what do you do? And they're like, I wear scrubs and walk through the treatment room on a very regular basis. And I'm like, hmm, I see why you may be having headaches here, mm-hmm. you know? big drums that I beat really hard. The, 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 the biggest bad habit that I see in managers is multitasking. They're like, and again, it's because they come from the floor and they're like, I can do all the things. And yeah. they are leading people, growing the organization, answering a continuously ringing phone, walking through the treatment area where people are shouting questions at them and asking yeah. them to do things. And I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. You're wildly inefficient right now. Yes. You know, yes. like when it comes down to getting your work done, this is a terrible way to get your work done. And so you and I, you know, talk about time management and we talk about blocking your time. 
I, I am a big believer in work blocks and time blocks. You should put a block on your calendar and says, I'm doing a payroll at this time. And you should not be walking through the clinic and you should not be taking phone calls and you should not mm -hmm. be doing it. You should get payroll done. And when mm -hmm. you get it done, then it will be out of your way. And then you can take phone calls and then you can walk through the clinic and you may be able to jump in and help people, right? But you have got to block this thing off. I'm a big fan of managers having some work from home time. Mm -hmm. I really believe, I mean, how many managers do you know who are like, I do payroll or inventory management from home over the weekend? And I'm like, that you shouldn't be doing over the weekend. Mm -mm. Um, but the point mm -mm. is they, they're like, I can get it done in half the time if I do it at home. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. And so why don't you do it from home every week or every other week, right? right? Like block right. that time. I'm a big fan of my manager being at home for a half a day once a week, you know, and just say... These are the things that I knock out and I do it and no one comes and gets me and the phone doesn't ring and I get these things done. Multitasking yep. is a lie. It's, it's just, it's not true. It's not efficient. People can't do it. It ultimately makes the quality of your work less uh, and, it, and it takes more time. And so blocking that time, I'm not available. I'm doing these things. That stuff is so important. Well, and I, to add to that, I have some food for thought and I, I might blow some people's minds and I might make some people mad when I say this. But I will say um, that I think when I think about starting in a practice and I think about moving up into a leadership role, part of why I was given my job was because the doctor owner of the practice was getting interrupted with the stuff and the things and they couldn't be the doctor or they couldn't be off on their day off because they were getting these stuff and the things they were getting interrupted. So the manager role gets layered in there because now you can interrupt the manager and you, that's your go-to person. So instead of asking the owner doctor or the, the, the leader doctor who's doing the important things, you're going to ask the manager. And that is where I think a lot of us have been set up to fail on a fundamental level. And that's some of what I was talking about in terms of empowerment. Like you should be able to say to your team, hey, don't interrupt me for the next hour because I'm doing payroll and I need mm -hmm. to get it done. And I will tell you, having been in this position and having said just that, walked through the building, told everybody, I'm going to go, I'm shutting my door, I'm doing payroll. Uh, you know, unless the building's on fire and you're trying to tell me to evacuate, don't come, don't come interrupt me. And then someone will come and knock mm -hmm. on the door and they're like, but Mrs. Smith is on the phone and she's really angry. And so I don't want to interrupt, you know, the the doctor. So I, I need you to know what you, you know, what I'm supposed to do with her. Well, when we think about what we've trained our teams to do in terms of not interrupting the doctor, the step that we miss a lot of the time is giving them that self, that same training for us as the managers. Like there needs to be some boundaries. Like Mrs. Smith's not, literally does not need me to get on the phone with her right this second. Mm -hmm. If she has, if the team has been trained and empowered to say, you know what, Mrs. Smith, uh, she's she's in a meeting right now. Let me let her know what you and I have just talked about and I will have her call you back as soon as she is done or by two o'clock this afternoon or however you choose to empower the team to communicate that. But the but the answer is we have set ourselves up for for failure. And I think it it trickles down from the reason why a lot of, especially in private practice, why a lot of managers got their role in the first place, to your point, is you've got an owner doctor who's like, I 
I'm doing too many things. I can't do all of these things. So I'm going to put a manager in place. And then we don't set up those same boundaries and expectations. And that's where we fail to empower them fully in, in a lot of ways. And I think it's really important from your, to your point, you could only accomplish those kind of work blocks if one of two things happens. If you leave the building and you're completely yep. out of sight, out of mind, whether you're working from home or you go to the Starbucks down the street and work for an hour or whatever that looks like, they literally can't see you. They can't find you. So unless they come mm-hmm. walk down the street to Starbucks and, and find you, it, you can be uninterrupted in a place like that. Or we've set up the expectation that like, look, when I say this, I really mean it because mm-hmm. I will tell you guys so many countless times I <laughs> that knock on my door happened and I was like, I could, I could just, I could just tell them to go away and I could coach them in the moment and I could remind them of all the things they're supposed to say to Mrs. Smith. But the path of least resistance to me as the manager right now feels like I just, let me just get on the phone and solve this problem yes. so I can move on with my day. And I give in to that. And yep. that is, I think, on a fundamental uh, level, the one of the single most difficult lessons that I had to learn as a leader. And it is what one that I'm still learning to this day, I will tell you, like learning the lesson that you have to have self control to lead and not do the thing. No one is going to stop you from doing the thing. Mm -hmm. They're always going to say thank you for jumping in and helping this patient. Mm -hmm. Thank you for talking to Mrs. Smith. They might not even thank you, but they are going to continue to ask you to do it if you do it. The only one who can stop that cycle is you. And that is one of the hardest skills to master as a leader. Yeah, that's that's about being intentional in making yourself into the manager, right? It's seeing mm-hmm. the value in the role. And then mm-hmm. I think your example of the communication empowerment and what should they say to the angry person on the phone, that's spot on. Uh, you have to train them Yes. on what to say when you're not right. available. And it's so funny because we don't. We go, I don't have time to train them. I guess I'm just going to keep being interrupted right. and <laughs> during my job for the rest of my life. And you go, this is, yeah. this is. A, I understand the short-term math is it's easier for me to get on the phone. The long-term math is for God's sakes, train these people so that they are, are empowered to say yeah. something, you know, to set boundaries for you so that you can then do the work. And I'm like, yes. boy, when you do the math on that, the investment is a no-brainer, but it's amazing mm-hmm. how few people do it. And so, yeah, yeah. you're going to have to talk to them about what to say when you're in your work head down time. Yes. But it's do no, it. It's, yes, because it's no different. We 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 would not. I It's been a long time since I've been in a clinic where if a client called and said, I need to talk to the doctor, that the team's answer would be like, OK, let me get them for you. That's not a thing that happens, right? Like we have created uh, protocols and processes to deal with that situation. And it's amazing to me how many instances when someone says, whether it's a client or a member of the team, like I, I need the manager or let me get Stephanie. It's amazing how many of us fail to have those same processes and protocols. And you can't do the work blocks. You can't chunk your time. You can't do what you were talking about, which is stop the multitasking and just mm-hmm. really lean in and focus and get a single thing done. You can't do that if the those safety mechanisms are not in place. And the doctor doing their doctoring work is just as important as you doing the work 
to run the practice. And so it would challenge those of you guys who are like, well, I, you know, my role is to be the one who can be interrupted because the doctor can't challenge you to rethink that because yeah, it's not it's not healthy and you're not going to succeed in the long run if you if you don't. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think that's super important. I, big takeaways for me. You need to be intentional about your time as a manager. Mm -hmm. You need yes. to recognize that it takes time to do your actual work. And you need yes. to believe that the time of a manager is more valuable than the time of an individual technical person on the ground doing the work because you're working on the whole business and they're working on one patient inside of that business. It doesn't mean yeah. that what they're doing is like critically important, but it just means you do you have a different job and a different responsibility. And if you abandon your job to jump in and help the individual patients inside the, the practice, in the long run, everyone is going to suffer compared to where they could have been had you stayed at your post as a leader and continued to build the practice and build the systems. Um, yes. Set expectations. Let people know this is coming. Give them some training. Give them some tools to enable you to not be available if, it, if it's the constant interruptions. Set yes. clear visual barriers to them uh, getting you. The best one is you're not there. Like that's mm -hmm. a clear bit. Like mm -hmm. can't, I can't harass him. He's not here. Short of that, consider not wearing scrubs. If mm -hmm. you don't want to be doing technical work, don't wear scrubs. Wear wear manager clothes. Wear nice clothes. Yep. And just say I can't. I can't jump in today, guys. Uh, and people won't generally ask you when they see you in your slacks if you'll get down on the floor and wrestle this big slobbery dog. Um, some people will. Most people won't. Uh, you're sending them a clear signal about what your role is and what you're planning to do today with your time. Yeah. Get a big piece of red poster board and tape it up onto your door that says, do not disturb. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Donna, I'm serious. <laughs> don't do it. And and, and put it up. Uh, so I, I have people who are like, I don't have an office. Go and get big ass uh, air traffic controller headphones. Yep. You know, the huge like nozzles yep. that the, just stick the on noise. the side of your uh -huh. head. Yep. And like, uh, and they're, air, they're noise canceling headphones. Yeah. And people are like, oh, I have ear pods to do that. Don't nope. use them. I want nope. something enormous. Yes. I don't even care if they block sound. I Go get go get safety ear protection from the hardware store that's yep. big neon orange and say to the team, when I have this on, do not bother me. Yeah. I like. I am not. These are my magic. I'm not here. Headphones yes. or ear protection that I'm putting on, yeah. and then uh, just, 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 just. And that sounds ridiculous, but it really is. I don't have an office to go into and close the door, so yes. I'm putting this on my body and my head. And uh, do please do not bother me the when I have these things on. Um, <laughs> and just try to create space like that. But guys, that that's the key to it. Yeah, the other the other trick that I used for years when I didn't have an office was um, I, a sign that would go on the back of my chair, right? Like Andy yeah. was saying, you put the big sign up on your office door. If you have one, great. If you don't, like you need to make sure that people approaching you from any direction are going to realize that you are in a bubble. And so whatever that looks like in your space, the the earphones are great because to Andy's point, people can't see the earbuds when they're in your yeah. ears. I can't tell you how many times I would be wearing earbuds and someone would come up and I'm on a call. I'm talking sometimes even to um, a client and someone comes up and starts talking to me because they have no idea that I'm on the phone. Yeah. Like that is the that is the downside to creating uh, the ability to talk with a little tiny thing in our ear. Yeah. Right. Um, and so thinking about how do I visually cue them 
uh, the headphones are great. The sign on the back of your chair, you know, or the front or the, the front. Like at one point, I literally would <laughs> wear a sign hanging around my neck and wear one on the back of my chair. That was like, <laughs> like unless the building's like on fire. Sandwich boards. Do, yes. Don't, inter- <laughs> don't interrupt me. For years, uh, it would be like they had a hanging sign uh, that, that went around my my neck, you know, and it just was like, I, I can't. This is how I visually I can visually cue you. And that came out of conversation with the team because they would say, oh, well, we we don't realize that you're on the phone or, oh, it's okay. So how do we solve that visually? I think that that is so important. And I think the last thing for me from a solving it perspective is you're gonna, you're gonna disappoint them or to, I, that's the best word I can think of yeah. to some degree when you say no, because they are looking at you. They're like, can you help? And you say, no, there's going to be some level of disappointment. So the challenge that I would give to to all of you who are struggling with this is tell them what you can do for them and be intentional about how you do it. And so when we were really shorthanded and I was struggling so hard because we were shorthanded, look, I, I came up from the front desk, but I, I became a technician. I went to school. I had the skills on both sides. There were so many days where I was like, look, I'm shorthanded in both departments and I could jump in and solve this problem. Whether it was them asking me or me just knowing that was the solution, It's a really hard position to be in. And so look at it and be intentional because if I'm doing that job, then I can't do the interviews, right? I can't get more bodies in in place. I can't update the payroll system so everybody gets paid. The answer cannot be that you're just going to do the work on the floor and take all of that work home with you and do it at night until two o'clock in the morning or work a 60 hour week, week after week after week. Look, you can do that in the short term. And sometimes it's warranted. That's what you get paid a salary to do. Because sometimes you have to work a 50 hour week to get something done. And that's the trade off that should not be the norm. And so for most of us, we make that the norm. And so the best way I'm going to challenge you guys to approach this, tell them what you can do for them. So when you are in that shorthanded space, it's like, look, I sometimes had to break it down on a week by week level. Look, this week, I've looked at the schedule, the two days were the shortest are Monday and Friday. So I'm going to be available to you guys Monday and Friday to jump in wherever you need me, whether it's for the whole day or three quarters of the shift or whatever I can give them. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, from these hours to these hours or for the whole day or whatever, I'm completely unavailable because this is what I'm doing instead. I'm scheduling interviews. I'm doing the payroll thing. Be, be clear and specific and you can't just tell them once. This is not a one and done. You have to tell them and you have to visually give them a cue. So whether that's posting your schedule up in the hallway where everybody can see it, putting it on Slack every morning. Hey, reminder, guys, I'm available today. I'm not available tomorrow. Like you've got to be consistent and continue to give them that that visual transparency to what your schedule is and what you can do for them. That is the only thing that I ever found in the moment to truly get them past that disappointment and get them back on the even ground where they're like, oh yeah, okay, I see you and I, you, you are communicating in a way that is making sense to me. And so they might still be disappointed, but it lessens that I feel like significantly so. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a really good approach. You know, tell them what you can do. Um, yeah, it's almost like you can't be all things to all people. I, I, I funny, funny, so weird, so weird, so weird. Guys, thanks so much for being here, guys. I hope this was helpful. Stephanie, thanks for talking to this with me. This is a good one. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. 
And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.